Okay, well, uh, thank you for your questions. I know it's sometimes difficult to construct something and uh, I saw some points, just clarification around um, terms. What is citta actually? Different teachers give different meanings. Some say citta is the emotional aspect of mind. Some say citta is consciousness colored by thought, sankara, feeling and perception. Well, the problem of language, you see, sometimes language from one way of seeing things, one culture, doesn't exactly translate exactly into something in another culture. But uh, if we look, chitta is very commonly used in the suttas, very common, and it's mostly translated as mind. But the problem is you have another word, manos, which is also translated as mind. And manas is the abbreviation for called mano vinyana, which is mind consciousness. And the way that it's used, mano is used, is the mano vinyana, mind consciousness, is always moving here and there uh, with thoughts. You know? And mano can stop. And the Buddha says, you know, uh, when mano stops, stops presenting ideas, concepts, stops presenting things, then there's the experience of the citta is peaceful. So the citta, citta doesn't stop. Yeah. It, it, it just, sometimes it's referred to as disappearing because there's nothing in it. Citta is, um, so if we look at mano, is really the mind turning outwards to define the world around it. That's him, that's her. That's, you know, so it's always referring to things outside, yeah? Realize these are uh, mano, the opening line of the Dhammapada. All Dhammas originate from, mind is mano, is the chief of all Dhammas. So because it's the creator of, of objects. Right? So right now, if you think, my father, what happens? Bok. <laughs> right? Something jumps into your mind, you get a picture of a face or a memory or something. That was your, your mano just operated. <laughs> your mano, it creates an object. Yeah. And we can think of Thursday. Oh, right. there's nothing, no such thing as Thursday. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not written in the sky, the trees don't know anything about it. It's purely mentally created. So it, it deals with the world outside. Chitta is referring to not the objective world outside, but the subjective world, what's happening for me. I feel happy. Uh, I feel excited. Uh, it's to deal with internal phenomena, subjective feeling. Yeah. And this is always shifting and changing. Yeah.
Now, actually, if in the the way that it's used, the, the Buddha says he makes his citta bright and purified. The manas is never described as bright or purified. It's just a thing like a, an eye or an ear. It's just a just a sense organ. Chitta is not a sense organ. It's the quality. So usually, often use the word heart because it's a simple word. It's not exactly accurate, but it gets close because we know the heart can be angry, affected by fear, affected by love, affected by joy. It's affected. And so then the Buddha is saying, when he practices, he purifies the chitta, cleans it of defilements. Manas is never described as being defiled. Just like your tongue is not defiled, it's just a sense organ, (laughs) right? It's neither pure nor impure. It's just, you know, you can think something, It's, it's neutral. But chitta gets corrupted. When it's corrupted, it produces certain sankharas. Sankharas are called mental or heart formations. So these are impulses. Some of them are wholesome, the impulse to do good. I want to do good. The impulse to do bad. <laughs> There's some action. And jitta is the source of action. The source of action begins in, with jitta. Jitta is affected by feeling and then it responds. Okay. How is it affected by feeling? Because there's a link between the mano and the jitta. So the jitta cannot see, it cannot hear, it cannot touch. It's internal. So manos scans the senses. It's a pineapple. Pineapple. So it forms this concept, pineapple. It drops it into the chitta. Chitta goes, oh, pineapple. (laughs) It's pleasant, fruit, tasty, hungry, oh, lovely. Get me a pineapple. You see, so then the urge to do something arises, the manas drops an idea, a perception into the jitta, jitta feels something, oh, and it acts. And of course, manas can drop many, many things in there, Uh, sense objects, ideas, this will make you happy, blop, oh, yes, I have one. (laughs) Uh, And so the jitta is always feeling things and then trembling. Trembling, as it trembles, it responds. So it's like a lake. You drop a leaf on it, it shivers. Yeah. And as it gets sankharad, which it means certain forms, certain ways of responding become established. So the way of greed, yeah, I want. The way of aversion, the way of delusion. Delusion means you just churn around creating fantasies. This is the citta when it's confused. Uh, it's confused because it feels. Uh, it feels and it gets excited by feeling. Yeah. 
But then also, this is where wisdom arises, because the chitta, rather like a lake, you can see certain qualities of a lake. When you drop anything on it, it shivers. The other aspect of a lake is you can look at it and it reflects. You can see your face in it. So chitta does both that. It reflects and it shivers. And with some wisdom, because it's naturally reflective, it naturally reflects. It also has a sense in which it begins to get the sense of all this agitation eventually just goes nowhere useful. It just stirs up and down and it settles. It stirs up and down. This isn't going anywhere useful. So it's got this basic, basic wisdom there. It knows something. It's got a basic knowing. And then it begins to sense maybe this reflective capacity, which it doesn't feel anything, it just it just reflects like the surface of a lake. Maybe this is important. Because then it can notice the ripples. And it notices also if it doesn't ripple, you get a much clearer perception. <laughs> if it gets more still, you can see things much more clearly. And that means you don't get the misguided confusion of careless impulses that then create problems for the chitta. It gets lost in its own turmoil and it hurts. (laughs) So it has to, after a while, it's churning around, getting hurt by its own ripples. It says, just let's stop. (laughs) Uh, Enough of this. So it has to turn towards its own reflection capacity. This is where wisdom grows. Now that turning naturally is not easy, but then because jitta experiences feeling, the Buddha said, yeah, there's feeling. You can have a pineapple, that feels like that. What about the act of generosity? How does that feel? Oh yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. And you don't get the bad effect, do you? You know, you get addicted to pineapples, you get bored with them, or you fight over them. But well, this, is my, this is actually a steadier feeling. Well, I think I'll go for that. And then what about, what does it feel like when you have good friends? Oh, that's really good. I'll do that. What makes good friends? Well, if you're reliable, trustworthy, honest, harmless, that, yeah, do that then. Okay. Then it gets another kind of pleasure, which is the pleasure of Dhamma, right? And the pleasure of Dhamma is higher because you don't get any bad effects. You don't get any negative effects. And you get the, the quality of the feeling is much steadier. And, and you can live in it. Whereas every other sense object just flies through, that's it. <laughs> Gone. And it's just shaking. So you start to tune in to a better source of feeling. And the feeling of Dhamma as you practice it, allows the reflective capacity to become more prominent. You start, what does friendship mean? Yes. You study, and you get wise. Yeah. And you begin to notice all these ripples of feeling. It just 
<laughs> What's all this about? <laughs> so it gradually becomes, it sort of begins to lose interest in feeling because feeling just moves through. And the most important thing you recognize is that, yeah, you know, the feeling associated with goodwill and generosity is good, but even better is where it takes you to. The feeling's just like the sweet covering, but where does it take you to? It takes you to a place where you feel upright. Chitta feels calm, assured. It's no longer addicted. It's stable. So the kind of feeling that takes, it's not the quality of pleasure, which is, you know, there is a pleasure there, but when the chitta follows that, that quality, it takes it to a good state, right? Where it's not hungry, where it has no regret, where it's not agitated, so it's more steady. You know? And the Buddha says, well, then you follow that trajectory. Because the jitta is associated with feeling. Some feeling takes you to bad places. Right? But not all feeling is bad. Some feeling takes you to places that are very short-term benefit and maybe some bad side effects. Some kind of feeling takes you to a good place. Follow that. When you get to that good place, thinking, that's fine, I don't need any more. Yeah? So it becomes quieter. And this is the process of purification. You see? It's like you're, you're uh, breaking a habit by weaning, by giving the chit an alternative channel to go to, and it gradually comes out of its confusion, out of its trance, out of its, out of its day's state. And then Buddha said, then, my jitta now is bright because it has an energy to it. And the energy is now not just being used up in emotional action, when it's running on, running on, running on. Yeah. The energy which we associate with our hearts, our emotions is just running on. Now when that is not running on, the energy is there, but now it's collected and it's bright and it's steady. This is now, the chitta is now powerful. Now I can use this to look deeply into where the fundamental attachments lie and break them. And then it's the liberation of chitta. So the expression then is the chitta is liberated from the asava through non-clinging. You see this phrase used many times, ends of, ends of suttas. It says, you know, the bhikkhus listened, they were glad, and the, they, the chitta was liberated from the asava through non-clinging. This phrase. So the most fundamental attachments, if you like, that hold the chitta, are these called asava. Bhavasava, avijasava, karmasava, right? So karmasava, the sensuality. That is, um, the jitta uh, is affected by sense contact. It seeks pleasure, pain, so it's fascinated by sense objects because it, it gets the food of feeling from it. Yeah. yeah. So much so, 
you know, that for an untrained person, the idea of letting go of sense sense contact is just this must be some kind of hell. <laughs> because what are you going to do? You know, you know, sight, sounds, touches. You know, what are you supposed to do? You some kind of dummy? No, no. The the quality of not having this sense object constantly poking your mind is a relief. Right? So that's a feeling, but the feeling's not exciting. The feeling's like, ah, oh, what a relief. Not constantly have something poking. Yeah, pleasant, this, here's a sound, here's a sign, here's a taste, and you shut up. <laughs> so it's very peaceful. So that, this is the first one. Asava that we can work with because we do notice, yeah, sight, sounds, touches, flavors, and anything, yeah, you know, but that happens every day, and it doesn't go anywhere, you know. You have another taste that was nice, but then it's gone, and you go do it again tomorrow. <laughs> There's no end to it, and we don't want pain, but the pleasure of sense contact isn't that great and uh, one doesn't realize that actually there's a kind of happiness that comes when the mind is not engaged it's the happiness of the citta freed like someone coming out of jail <laughs> someone coming and say it's someone like someone comes out of sickness they just oh it's oh, free from that yeah the asava. Now, when that asava is present, then a human being is always driven. The next thing to touch, taste, see, listen to, next thing, next thing, next thing, even thinking. You know? And then so this begins to free. The second asava, bhavasava, is to do with identity. You know? So you see that it's the forming an identity. And this is so, again, so deeply established that it's difficult to understand what it would be like to not have that. But you do realize identity is painful. <laughs> do you know that? <laughs> yeah. Who you are, who you were, what you will be. Yeah. Trying to be okay, trying to be accepted, trying to do the right thing, trying to be a good person, trying to make everybody like me, not make mistakes, have a good future, yeah, feel good about myself, look good, <laughs> talk good, be bright, be intelligent, be polite, be cheerful, be happy. <laughs> and then you're not as good as he is. <laughs> and she's much more intelligent than you are. Oh no, you're less than she is. You know, So you get this identity. Who's, who's the best identity? <laughs> you, see, you see, that's painful, right? Because you get self-conscious and then self-critical and you compare yourself with others. And then people say, well, well, I like her and her. I don't like him very much. He's good. I don't like him. Yeah. So you get this sense of choosing who's who's the who's the good person. 
And you don't want to be left out, you see. You want to make sure that you're, you know, people like me too. So what do I do to be a person that everybody likes? Right? So I'm accepted everywhere. I don't get any negative feeling. Will you try and be a person that everybody likes? <laughs> yeah, you know, but, you know, so identity is, is uncomfortable. And if you think about yourself, right? You think about yourself. Do you ever think about yourself? Ajahn Sumedho said the quickest way to get depressed is to think about yourself. <laughs> you think, oh, you know, well, that's not so good, and I guess I'm okay, what's the point, you know? And then identity is always, um, needs support, needs to feel good, need to feel I'm successful or something, you know? And so, but then you realize identity, what is it? What is it? So you say something like a body. You got a body, okay, that's you. That's you. Let's take a finger off. Is it still you? Yeah. I'll take a hand off. Is it still you? What if the arms go? Is it still you? Right? What if you take the legs off? Is it still you? At what point does that not become you? If you lose a finger, ah, oh, yeah, I'm still here. Lose a hand, yep, I'm here. Lose an arm, yep, I'm here. Both arms, yep, it's me. There's <laughs> just a head left. <laughs> Is that what you are? You're just a head? What's the rest of this then? <laughs> if you're just a head, what's all this? Is this not you? Is it you or not you, right? Is this hand? Is this you or is it not you? So it's me. Well, if you lose it, have you gone? No. So it's not you, is it? If it's not you, what is it? <laughs> Whose is it if it's not yours? <laughs> it's just the hand, right? <laughs> it's just the body, right? Does it have to belong to somebody? It's just the body, right? Yeah. So who lives in this? Whose is it? Right? Right. So, okay, body's not. What about the mind? Okay, thinking mind, right? When you were nine months old, what kind of thoughts did you have? Thoughts? Uh, aga, aga. <laughs> <laughs> right. Was that you? <laughs> Was that you? <laughs> right. <laughs> And after you went to school, you had all kinds of other thoughts, didn't you? And when you went to university, you had more thoughts, different kinds of thoughts. They changed. So you're not the thinker, are you? Because that can all change. Right? So what are you then? Um, emotions? Not really. Yeah, because they come and go. Are you a happy person or an angry person? Well, I'm happy, but sometimes I get annoyed. Sometimes I get anxious. Well, which one are you? You're the anxious one or the happy one? You see, you can't. So this identity thing is is really just a a fiction. 
And the, well, then what it's based upon is some kind of grip. Something wants to have an identity. Something wants to have an identity. So he says, oh, I'll, I'll do the body. That's good enough. Even if it's not very good. I want something to hold on to. So I know I'm here. So I'll have something I can hold on to. So I know I'm here. Well, okay. Do you need to hold on? So then you've got to really begin to develop the chitta. So it's this, there's definitely a sense of being present. That's true. But everything, thoughts, emotions, sensations, they come and go. There's presence. There's certainly presence. But you don't need an identity for that. <laughs> you don't need an identity to walk, do you? You need a body. You don't need to be a person when you walk. Is that true? <laughs> this is walking. So we say, yeah, there's presence. There's awareness. But you don't need to add. There isn't a need. When it really, the chitta gains confidence. Now that, this is chitta becoming purified. This jitta comes out of this scrambled state of thinking it's in a body or thinking it's in an idea or thinking it's in some state or another and it's just purify. It's just presence, awareness, presence, awareness. This is the jitta purified. That's the ending of the bhavasava. No need to create an identity. Third asava, avijasava, ignorance. Ignorance means you don't recognize, you don't recognize what you are. You keep thinking, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. I'm a man, I'm a woman. I'm old, I'm young. I'm thin, I'm fat. I'm stupid, I'm lazy. I'm happy, I'm sad. Keep getting lost in all that. Avijaya, you... You don't, you know, you return. Chitta returns to presence. Awareness. You say presence. Awareness. Presence. Is that male? No. Female? No. Old? No. Young? No. Is it in Singapore? No. Is it in Thailand? No. Where is it? Here. Where is here? It's everywhere you go. <laughs> Wherever you go, there it is. And you keep looking out and thinking, I'm, I'm in this place or that place or I'm in this. And that's, that's, a, that's an illusion. That's the illusion of consciousness, you see. Now, you know, this word is difficult to translate because you can see that what I've been talking about. It starts off with something like heart, as it purifies, it becomes something more like awareness. Now, you can also use awareness for consciousness, but a consciousness is awareness associated with an object, like I'm aware of a sound. That's auditory consciousness. Yeah? So that 
then citta receives what consciousness throws into it. Right? So mind consciousness throws things into the citta and the citta believes it. So the expression is, with the ceasing of consciousness is the liberation of citta. So consciousness is described as that which can cease. It means it stops doing this, throwing things into the citta. And of course, when we refer to what throws things into the citta, it's the mind consciousness. The eyes don't do it. The ears don't do it. It's the mind that does it, throws things into the citta. It's a constant action. Now that can stop. It doesn't mean you're not, it doesn't mean you're not awake or aware. It just means you've stopped throwing things into the citta. The stopping of consciousness, ceasing of that action, the purification of the citta, the liberation from the asava. And this is a very important stream of understanding in Buddha Dharma. Because this way we begin to avoid the two wrong extremes. One extreme is annihilationism. Nothing exists. Everything's wiped out. Liberation means you complete wipe out, no awareness, nothing. That's one extreme. Another extreme is we arrive at some wonderful state. We become some wonderful state of being. That's another extreme. And in the middle, the middle way, presence, awareness. What's that? What's that? Now you're trying to think about it, aren't you? You can't do that. You can only be it. Awareness is never an object. It's nothing you can see. You understand? Awareness is never an object. It's never an object, so you can't see it, but you can be it. (laughs) So you can't know yourself, but you can be yourself. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? And everything you describe is still an object. So naturally, for people who like to get things nice and clear in their heads, this is a very frustrating business. Because <laughs> you can't get it clear in your head, but you can get it in your heart, where it just goes, I'm fine. <laughs> so this is, this is the story of Chitta. It's a long time, a lot to talk about there, but I think it's important to get these things uh, clarified. So, a person asking about nimittas. I never experienced a light nimitta, though I always feel calm and happier after meditating. I was glad to hear you say the nimitta of sila is peace. How can I go deeper into this sign when I meditate? Um, So your recollection, you see, you keep returning to that sign. It may change. So, for example, when we hear Dhamma, we might feel a little bit uplifted. Oh, that's interesting. That's a sign. It's not a very powerful one, but it's, you feel something happen. You feel brighter. Okay, you do it again. Go into it. And you use your citta to really absorb the felt experience of it. A felt experience of it could be a feeling of brightness, a feeling of spaciousness, could be joyful, could be a sense of stability. But essentially, 
jitter is attracted to it. It's not a uh, not a sense object. Jitter produces something. It's like the jitter smiles. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah. So then you keep returning to that sense of what it felt like. Yeah. So this term nimitta is used in a variety of ways. The Buddha says it's that. It's also a defining characteristic. That which really gives you the the heart impression, the heart impression of something. And so you have to approach that heart impression through the heart. It's very much a sense of the heart leaning in, giving itself, opening to. And it may, the impression may purify. Maybe for a sort of sense of joy, and as you go into it, it feels just like something satisfying, stabilizing, steady, and it's a heart impression. You may find you get quasi-sense objects. This is not unusual. Some people get little lights. And this is the jitter gets happy and it starts to produce a few lights. It's like it's, it's so happy it starts to get a bit excited and produce some lights. That's the way it, that's the way it speaks. Because <laughs> it doesn't use words, you see. Uh, and the important thing is not to get too interested in the lights because they can be distracting. But try to look at the wholesome quality Nimitta is only, it's like a, like a light, you see. So we have traffic lights on the road. Very important to know you go in the right direction because you've got the lights on the road, but you don't drive into the light. <laughs> you just know this is the right road because there's a nice series of lights going, that's the way to go. You, drive, you don't drive into the lamppost. <laughs> oh, wow, crash. No, you just say this is the right way. You're doing wholesome things. Keep doing the wholesome thing. Much more useful. Stream entry and stream fruition. How can one speed up the process of being a sotapanna? <laughs> Get into that stream. <laughs> well, uh, do you know what, it's so, what it is? <laughs> uh, yeah, so essentially, the the... It's, it's just a phrase, you see, it's just the term the Buddha used. And the more important thing is to know, not to know what it is, it's what is released, what is let go of. You see, so the first thing that disappears, there's called three fetters. You probably know this, yeah? Sakaya Ditti, Silapata Paramasa, and Vichikicca. So this is identity belief, belief in the personality. Belief that you are a personality. Belief in that's your final, that's your essence. That's what you actually are. And Sila Pata Paramasa is attachment to systems, customs, rules, techniques, the structures with which we live our life. Everybody has customs. We have rules, we have protocols, procedures, you know, do this at this time, this at that time. Um, this is the way we do it in this country, in that country. And we get fixated on that and we, you know, we can't operate outside it. 
Vichikicca is you have doubt, you're not confident, there's no confidence in Dhamma. And they really amount to the same thing. They're three aspects of the same thing. That's why they all go together, because they're three aspects of the same thing. Personality is very much a, a, a social construction. Identity is deeper than this, but the personality is social construction. That is, when we are very, very small, we don't have a personality. We just kind of like you know, a little thing, uh, you know. And then so this is what we do. This is we don't do this. You do that. Uh, do this and don't do that. And gradually, okay, I do this and don't do that. So you get shaped by um, family and then by social customs. Yeah, and they're shaped. So as you come into infancy, as you begin to learn language, learn the language, the language, the customs, they all start to shape what you feel you are, how you you measure yourself. And it's very much associated with ideas, customs, thoughts, what is polite, what's impolite, what you know, and we get sort of fixated on that, and that can go quite deep. People get, uh, for example, get dogmatic religious beliefs when it, this is this, and everything else is wrong. This is the one and only truth. This is the way to salvation. So you see, in in um, where religion depends very much on on the words, on a particular interpretation of words, you get orthodox and heretical and you get fighting one christian sect fights another christian sect because they don't agree upon some piece of doctrine yeah and this is very much a, a manifestation of sila patta paramasa we attach to the words and we can end up fighting over the meaning of peace When you step outside, you think it's really strange how, you know, teachings of religious love all beings, love all, all brothers and sisters, and then far from you, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's pretty bad, you know. And so as soon as we get stuck in these these language ideas, you see, uh, that's not. It goes very deep, you know. So my mother. She do the laundry on Monday. Monday was laundry day. Tuesday she do the ironing. And Friday she do all the shopping. She could not do shopping on a Monday because Monday was washing day. Tuesday was ironing day. And I know where I am because when I know where I am, I do this and that. I know where I'm going. So that it helps to hold the personality together because they get a sense of how things are done. But it's still, you see, the whole chitta is then just associated with a very superficial level of experience, right? So imagine, you know, say my mother, she's thinking this washing day is Monday, washing day is Monday. I say, hey, mom, it's not Monday, it's Tuesday. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, it never got like that. But you know what I mean? When 
suddenly everything goes upside down because it's not, this isn't the right time, this isn't the right day, and I feel confused. We were supposed to do it this way, not that way, you know. Uh, so you see, then you get something like monastic training, you have a lot of rules, and not just rules, but all sorts of protocols, like what's the polite way, what's the discreet way, what do you speak, who do you address, and you're going to kind of get very sensitive to these things. So you're going, right, okay, great, right. And then you go to another monastery and they do it totally different. You know, the ethical rules are the same. The vineyard rules are the same, but the kind of customs may be slightly different. And so you, you, you know, so you just learn, after you've been, particularly you go to four or five countries where this is Theravada Buddhism, uh-huh. and you go to another country, this is Theravada Buddhism. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know. Somewhere in Sri Lanka, they run a set of monks, they had yellow umbrellas. Uh, so they'd have yellow umbrellas, and that was the right color for an umbrella. But then a few provinces away, they had brown umbrellas. And so you had to know, you know which was the right kind of umbrella, so you looked like a proper behaved person. You so you can get these kind of little things. And a wise person just goes, you know, I just go along with the local custom, adapt because it just, why make waves? Uh, yellow, brown, doesn't matter to me. Some places you go in, you have to take your sandals off before you go in. Some places you have to put your sandals on before you go in. <laughs> yeah, so these things kind of change. But then you realize, well, people have to operate through systems and customs. You know, you've got 50 people, you can't say, everybody do whatever you like. <laughs> you've got to say, Nine o'clock on Tuesday, we come here. But then you realize that's just the customs. So it's not the customs, it's the attachment, whereby you feel really uncomfortable when you can't follow the custom. Why is this? Because your, your mind is living at a certain superficial level of convention, and you're attached to that. Now, when you penetrate Dhamma, you go deeper than that, and you realize something deeper than that, which actually gives you more sense of reliable, like goodwill, for example, or things change, things are impermanent. So you become very flexible. You're not particularly attached to do it this way or that way. It's all whatever feels harmonious, that's comfortable. So then we've actually begun to release some of these grips of attachment. So in traveling along, so the person who's on that path, is it called the Aryapugalas, the eight pairs. So you have the person who's on the path to stream entry and the person who's arrived at stream entry. Yeah. So the person's on the path has kind of begin to recognize, ah, this is where the attachments lie. Uh-huh. Now somebody who's not on the path doesn't even recognize there's that these are attachments. He doesn't even realize these are fetters. Got no idea. What are you, you know, what are you talking about? But someone who's on the path begins to recognize, oh, yeah, this personality thing, I can step back from that. I can watch my personality. I can, you know, I can, I'm not my person. I have one, 
definitely there it is, and yet I'm not attached to it. So you begin to get some sense of the chitta is beginning to extract itself because the essential core quality of presence is chitta. And chitta gets stuck in personality. So as chitta becomes to kind of extract itself from the personality, you see it. That's just the personality. It's not a big thing. You just, you know, it's just like the clothes you wear. You've got to wear something so you have a personality. It's just, it's all right. Uh, same with the customs. You have customs and systems. Yeah, we need that. And we can change it to whatever suitable. So you're beginning to see some of these things. And, and a stream mentor is someone who's actually deepened and penetrated beyond that. So there's a sense of real confidence in chitta confidence and flexible and comfortable and unshakable and the sense of stream entra really knows this path is going places very deep beautiful make my life richer more comfortable this is something I totally trust so that's the stream entra. It's still a stream entra. They still have problems with getting irritated and you know, a sense of displeasure. They get a uh, sense of affected by pleasure. They're still, they're still stuck in that, but it's reduced considerably. So they might make mistakes, but they realize they make a mistake and they immediately correct it, ask forgiveness, start again. So they're not perfect, but they're certainly getting freer and they know it. How do you get there as quick as possible? <laughs> well, <laughs> Eightfold Path, I'd recommend it. And uh, so it's, it's eightfold because you just can't do it just by sitting still all the time. You've got to move around because when you move around, different aspects of your attachments come to light. You see, so we want to notice where our attachments are. So, you know, nobody's bothering me. I'm fine. I'm really almost an arahant by now. But then when things start happening, I'm no longer an arahant. <laughs> and I can blame everybody else, saying she's too noisy, is a nuisance, but actually it's my ill will that's the problem. So you say you want to be actually someone you, you receive the engagements that kind of push your buttons. Yeah. So you, it's really living life properly, fully, and noticing where you get affected, where your jitter gets affected, and then how you can deal with you, whatever it is, whoever it is, you're looking at, right, you know, she may not be very pleasant, but I don't have to have the ill will. Right? She's like that. Uh-huh. I don't enjoy that. She's like that. But I don't need this ill will. Just relinquish it. And this is the way we clean. Yeah. Yeah. She may have made a mistake, but me getting angry with her doesn't help anything. Stop doing that. <laughs> you know, because all the time you're messing yourself up. Blaming, criticizing others, blaming yourself is totally useless and just creates more problems. 
So you've relinquished these habits, fascination, ill will, attachment to who you are, become an open person, flexible, and enjoy the Dhamma. And that's the super fast track. <laughs> okay, what else is there to know? <laughs> so, how do you practice mindfulness in daily life? Well, there it is. Just it's not a, it's not a small question, is it? But um, you look, you know, if you look in the suttas on mindfulness, uh, Satipatthana Sutta, it's an interesting sutta because it doesn't mention meditation. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, it says when you're when you're walking, sitting. Bathing, eating, chewing, digesting food, lying down, be mindful. Keep mindfulness established, mindfulness to the fore. How do you practice mindfulness in daily life? You have to really thoroughly understand and review what mindfulness means. And uh, we have, often we have systems and techniques to promote mindfulness or to give mindfulness a particular topic to focus on. So we might be mindful of breathing. Right, okay. So that but breathing is not mindfulness. Breathing is something we can apply mindfulness to. Yeah. And so so you think, okay, then what do you do when it's not a particular object? Like well then you're mindful of chitta. Right? Understanding chitta is then very important. Yes, when we walk around, we go from this street to that street, or we just walk to the car, or we walk to the bus or whatever. We try to be mindful walking, which means when we're walking, we just set the body walking and we rub out the idea of going anywhere. Just let the body carry us. Because you don't need to have an idea of where you're going. You know where you're going. You just point in that direction, just keep going. You're mindful. You know you're going to, to work. So that's there, and I just keep mindfulness of the body. You don't get a sense of agitation and pressure. Yeah. So when I was remember I was doing having a Tudong and I had a map with me and I was walking in England, I had a pack of stuff and on the map. I look at the map and think, okay, it's maybe 10 miles to get there, 10 miles to get there. And immediately I do that, I start suffering because I've got to get to this town, which is 10 miles away. I put the map down and start walking, stop suffering. Because <laughs> you don't get there any faster <laughs> by, by having a map. It's good to have a map, but you want to, okay, then stop thinking about getting there because your body your body has to walk on the ground, not on the map. So this is sati. You see, sati, mindfulness, is, is bearing something in mind. And that needs support. None of, none of the factors of the Eightfold Path stand up on their own. They all contribute. And mindfulness has various friends and relatives that contribute. And one of the most important friends of mindfulness is right view, which is consider or bear in mind 
how things affect your heart, whether they bring up skillful states or unskillful states. Bear that in mind. So you're constantly aware of, if I follow this attitude, does this bring skillful states into my heart or unskillful states? Keep that sense of supervision. A right view is a tremendous basis for mindfulness. Yeah. Now, you have another very supportive quality called proper attention. Proper attention or wise attention or deep attention. And deep attention says, if you keep focusing on this, you're going to get this result. If you focus on that, you'll get that result. Right? You go into the shopping arcade and you focus on everything in the shop window. What's going to happen? You're going to get into, oh, that, that, all that, no, yeah. Right? Now, if you just focus on walking, you won't have that. <laughs> Which do you want? Yeah. <laughs> right? So you choose your focus. And then once you've chosen the focus, mindfulness says, stay with this. Right? Stay with this. Stay with this. Yeah. Stay with this. Now, mindfulness is a kind of, it's a kind of concentration, but it's not closed. In other words, we're walking along, mindfully walking along, but because right view supervises everything, we're walking, we see somebody's fallen over. So we don't just keep walking on, <laughs> because we recognize, oh, skillful, help them out. Yeah. So you keep in the sense, yeah, I'm walking to work, but this person's had an accident, I'll help her, pick her up, and so forth, okay get an ambulance, then I continue to walk into work. So it's, it's flexible. You keep one thing in mind. But the most important thing you need to bear in mind, how do skillful states arise? What gives rise to skillful states? What blocks skillful states? What gives rise to unskillful states? And for that, your mindfulness is established in the citta. That's where skillful states arise. Now, so, but when you're mindful of chitta, it doesn't mean you, you don't see anything, but that's behind. The chitta is noticing the body, feelings, mind states. It's whole, bearing the whole thing in mind. Yeah. And so this essentially is, is the kind of very simple way of describing mindfulness in daily life. Yeah. But as you see, daily life is, a, is quite a complex matter. You have relationships with other people, mindfulness of relationship, which means respect. This is another person. It's not me, it's another person. She has her ways, I have my ways. Mine's no better than hers necessarily. She's no better than mine. How are we going to work together? Because we want harmony. Right? We want to be able to work together. So relationship means respect, so we can arrive at harmony. Which means sometimes I say, okay, I'll do it your way. Or she says, I'll do it your way. Or we find out something. You see, so then you establish mindfulness of relationship, which means it's not me that's important or her that's important. What's important is the relationship, that it's harmonious and honest. Then we can work together. So you, you know, that's an example of that, you see. Then you're looking at mindfulness of your, your work. How much are you working for? 
you bear it in mind. You're working so that you can get the four requisites together to keep you alive, but you realize that's not enough. What really keeps you alive is respect, happiness, confidence, good mind states. That's what keeps you alive. Otherwise, you're just a functioning robot. Right, so you're mindful. So you think, okay, I do need this, I do need this, but I don't, I don't need a lot, I just need enough. So it helps to moderate your work. And you recognize at a certain point, I'm getting too stressed or too overwhelmed, I need to relax a little bit. Yeah. So these, this, of course, is a very, you know, this is a whole area in which mindfulness covers all the other factors of the Eightfold Path, livelihood, effort, right view, sustaining samasankapa, which means we cultivate intentions, resolves towards harmlessness, non-violence, compassion, and simplicity of living. Samasankapa, so you're mindful of that, right? means you bear that in mind. Okay. These are not in conflict, they all fit together very, very easily. You know, so you can take any one of them and that will fit everything else. The Eightfold Path, everything fits together. So you just have different ways of explaining it, but it essentially all fits together. But the essential thing that is most important is right view, because this is, this is constantly saying, you have a choice, look for where does the where does the skillful states arise? Where is it possible in this situation? Where does unskillful states begin, and how do I avoid that? And that's your guide, basic guide. Okay. Well, um, thank you for the questions. I hope some of these answers have been useful for you.